I would have declared it so 66 years ago when I was 10 years old, just finishing the fourth grade. And I declare it so again today. This is the greatest week of the year. The last week of May is even better than Christmas. I know this has to be the beginning of summertime. It's that week when we all get to stand in the streets and sing, school's out, school's out, teacher, turn the mules out. And I have a feeling, though, that the teachers are back in the lounge singing, school's out, school's out, teacher, turn the fools out. <laughs> this has to be the greatest week of the year. It's the beginning of, of summertime. It's the beginning of, of Little League. And we will have practice on Monday and Thursday. Games will be on Tuesday and Friday. And if there's any makeup necessary, that will happen on Saturday. There will not be Little League on Wednesday and Sunday. <laughs> but that's a different time. This has to be the greatest week of the year. It's anticipation of vacation Bible school. It's going to come. And we're going to have Bible stories and we're going to have character stories and mission stories and competition to see who gets to carry in the flags and who gets to carry in the Bible. It has to be the greatest week of the year. And we're going to be planning trips to the kinfolks. That's going to happen this summertime also. No, 66 years ago, we didn't go to the beach. We didn't go to Worlds of Fun. We went to the grandfolks. And the grandfolks were pretty good, except the grandfolks always wanted us to take a nap in the afternoon. And when you're in the fourth grade, you're beyond naps. And so it was much better to go to Uncle Tom's and Aunt Sissy's because they had five kids. And Uncle Tom was the custodian at the school and he had a key to the gymnasium. And we could spend all day in the gym. This has to be the greatest week of the year. Anticipating summer camp. Summer camp just out of Cloudcroft in Russia Canyon. Summer camp when we would sleep in genuine tents from World War II and we would eat food left over from World War II. <laughs> and the whole camp is run by World War II veterans. 
And man, could we do a flag ceremony at camp. And if we were ever late or if we were ever loud, we had to do push-ups. And we would brag each night when we got back to our World War II tent about how many push-ups I had to do today. A mark, a badge of manliness. It's the greatest week of the year. It's the beginning of summertime. Summertime. I think Solomon understands that. That's the item that Solomon and I have in common. I've never been confused with Solomon because of my wisdom or because of my great civic building projects. He did those, but we both like summer. He wrote the psalm that David read this morning. It's an ascension psalm. There's a collection of 15 psalms 120 through 134 that are psalms that families would sing on vacation. Psalms that families would sing on their way to Jerusalem. And as they are ascending up the hills into Jerusalem, somebody would break out singing the Ascension Psalms. Solomon wrote one of those. The only thing that Solomon has in the Psalms is number 127. King Solomon and King David lived merry, merry lives with their many, many concubines and many, many wives until one day old age crept in. And so with many qualms, King Solomon wrote the Proverbs and King David wrote the Psalms. But King Solomon got one of the Psalms. And in those Ascension Psalms, you sense they're enjoying the joy of vacation time, the change of pace, the reunion with family members. And in 120, the, the, the first of those Ascension Psalms, he writes, In my distress I call to the Lord. And he heard me <laughs> in my distress. I, I don't know what your distress is, but I called to the Lord and he heard me. And in 120, 121, one of those favorite ones where we're getting close to Jerusalem and I lift up my eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. We're getting closer to Jerusalem on those hills. Don't you see it? And 122, that beautiful psalm, I was glad when they said unto me, I am so impressed. <laughs> Way to go, Chip. You've taught them the ascension psalms. And then that 127, that 127 that Solomon writes. Solomon writes about those who build a house and, and those who guard the city and, and those who take a nap. And, and then he takes the second half of his Ascension Psalm. 
and he reminds us children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man whose quiver is full of them. And I know that Joseph and Cassie and Matthew and Emily, the new parents in this congregation, are, are crooning that tune today as, as they remember that children are a heritage from the Lord and the fruit of the womb is a reward. It has to be the best week of the year. It's the beginning of summertime. But the sweet memories of summertime also are marked by Memorial Day. We don't get to the memory days without walking through Memorial Day. And Memorial Day claims our attention for the next few minutes, and it's claimed the attention of every retailer who's, who's had a sale for the last three weeks going on for Memorial Day. It all started with Decoration Day by an Illinois guy by the name of Logan, John A. Logan. At the end of the Civil War, Logan was named Commander-in-Chief of the Grand Army of the Republic. And three years later, in 1868, he would make a proclamation for his soldiers, not for the general public, but for his soldiers that on the 30th day of May, they were to go to the, to the cemeteries and strew flowers or otherwise decorate the graves of comrades who died in defense of their country. And he had this wonderful sentence in his, in his uh, proclamation. Let no wanton foot tread rudely on such hallowed grounds. Let pleasant pastures invite the coming and going of reverent visitors and fond mourners. And before we can get to the memory days of, of Solomon, it would be appropriate for us as reverent visitors and fond mourners to address Memorial Day. And thus we've had the passage of King David. You know the story of his son, Absalom. And so we've got a passage from Absalom and a passage from Solomon. Brothers. Brothers by a different mother, but brothers. Half-brothers. And Solomon celebrates the joy of seeing the kin folks and going to the city. And David weeps because of Absalom. Absalom was a pretty worthless son. Uh, no father will say that about his kids, but I will. Absalom was a pretty worthless son. He had killed his older brother, Amnon, who is also a rather worthless son. If you have nothing to do this afternoon, read 2 Samuel uh, chapters 15 through 18, and you'll see what sorry hombres they were. And whenever Absalom had killed his older brother, Absalom was banished, exiled to a foreign country. He eventually was allowed back into Israel, but he could not come into Jerusalem. 
And thus, since he was wandering around in Israel, he created an army and decided to overthrow his father David, who's king. And sure enough, he succeeds. But in that last battle with Joab, Absalom's hair got hung up in the branches of a tree. Y'all remember that? Y'all remember that? And he was run through with the spears. And thus, David was deeply moved. And he went up to his chamber over the gate and he wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died in your place. Absalom, my son, my son. This is great David. This is David who slew Goliath. This is David who moved the boundaries of Israel farther than they had ever been before. A great general he was, a great king he was, a great administrator he was, but his heart was broken over his son. And he mourned and he grieved. To get to the Solomon side of summer, We've got to pass through the Absalom side of summer. And so, two thoughts for Memorial Day. It's a time to remember. It's a time to remember, and I hope, I hope you will take that time tomorrow, or today, or sometime, to remember. I can feature those Jewish kids playing at the family Memorial Day picnic along the Jordan River. And they see that formation on the other side that looks so odd. And they ask. And the storyteller of the family steps up, 1 Samuel 7. While Samuel was offering a sacrifice, boys, it happened just like this. God thundered a huge thunderclap as the Philistines came out to fight. They panicked in mass confusion and scattered before Israel. And Israel poured out of Mizpah and gave chase, killing the Philistines right and left, all the way to Beth Carr. That's the way it happened. And when it was over, Samuel took that rock and he set it up between Mizpah and Shin and he named that rock Ebenezer. The place where God helped us. I want us to remember that story. Here I raise mine Ebenezer. It would happen at Judson University every May after graduation. Our cabinet would come in beaten and bedraggled on a Tuesday morning and we had battled for the last year budgets and, and, and bodies and buildings and everything else. And on that May Tuesday morning, they knew we would not meet. We'd get in a school van and drive to the cemetery. And there in the cemetery, eight or ten of us would look up the Ebenezer's of 
Bill Brady and Ed and Alice Thompson and Willis Reed and Benjamin P. Brown, the founders of the institution, and remember, and remember. And many of you recall the sacrificial work of my sweet wife, Linda, in the gardens around this congregation. And when you get to this corner of the building out there in the gardens behind that bench, you remember Bill Link, and you remember Virginia Link, and you remember Nelson and Zena Page, and, and, and I remember little Jay Chance running across the hills, and I remember crotchety old David O'Moore. Y'all remember? And now we remember Rachel Phillips. Do you remember on Memorial Day? Will you look at the pictures on your wall and on your mantle and remember? And I think the communion table in front says, this do in remembrance of me. And for a true understanding of summertime, we remember and we grieve. Okay? It's okay. The theologian Charlie Brown was correct. Good grief, all right? It is good to have grief. Grief only comes when there's a loss. It may be the loss of a friend. It may be the death. It may be a divorce. It may be the loss of health or the loss of position or the loss of job. And David grieves over Absalom. Would I had died for you. As David Fulk, who is not King David, but he's pretty close. David <laughs> Fulk mentioned, <coughs> I had a cottage industry of preaching in Baptist churches. But eventually I was asked to preach at a Baptist meeting at the First Baptist Church of Pasadena, California. And so I'm up here trying to look humble. Uh, and I noticed that uh, three men came in. One of them kind of peeled off and the other two kind of really got right over there, about halfway up on the aisle. And about the second song, I figured out that that is Rick Warren. Rick Warren came to that church and I got up and preached there at that meeting, and after it was over, I went out to meet him for the first time and asked him, why did you come tonight? He said, I just wanted to hear a good Baptist sermon. <laughs> and I often wonder if Joel Osteen is here today. <laughs> 
But out of that little exchange, we built a sort of friendship. It's not a big deal. I mean, it's two or three or four emails a year from Rick Warren. But his son ended his life. And I watched Rick Warren work through his grief. The purpose-driven church. I was here in this church when we read that book. I don't know if anybody remembers that. And the purpose-driven life, which, which was, I guess, 50 million copies, 85 languages. And here's a man whose son has chosen not to live. And the way Rick Warren writes about his grief, the things I learned, he says, the only reason we are able to grieve is that we are made in the image of God. And God's son died violently. God understands. Number two, it's okay to question God. But even if you get an answer to your query about why, that does not change the facts of the event. Matthew is still dead. The third thing he learns from grief is work to turn the test into a testimony. I invite you to face Memorial Day boldly. And to remember, and to grieve, and to get ready for the Solomon side of summertime, which comes after an understanding of the Absalom time of Memorial Day. And so they're having Memorial Day tomorrow in Newtown, Connecticut, and in Littleton, Colorado. And in Parkland, Florida, and in Uvalde, Texas. What do we learn? We learn people that we must love our children more than our freedoms. We must love our children more than we love our guns. Because there are four-year-olds who will never get to go to vacation Bible school and never get to go visit Uncle Tom and Aunt Sissy and never get to play Little League. Oh, Absalom, Absalom, my son, I wish I had died in your place. Children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward like arrows in the hand of a warrior. So are the children of one's youth. And Bill still Phil reminds us, it's summertime. But to get to the Solomon side of summer, we must address the Absalom side 
of Memorial Day. Hear our prayer this morning, O Lord, as we commit to you once again our love for you. And though we do not understand you, we will try our best to follow you wherever you lead. My Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. Amen.